The O3C Podcast is a proud member of the HyperX Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the O3C Podcast coming to you from O3C Games. My name's Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by Chris Dow. Flannel trousers. And Minty the Booth. Accessorised with a belt of any type. And we are chatting about our favourite video games. Announcement! Announcement! Thank you to everybody who entered our recent competition. It was the share an article, win a copy of Back for Blood, and the opportunity to stream with us playing Back for Blood and get access to the Patreon-exclusive Discord server competition. Rolls off the tongue. It does. I didn't work out an acronym for it, but I imagine <laughs> it was probably... stick. <laughs> so thank you for entering that. Uh, we're going to announce the winner next week, so keep listening. Eliminate clutter and embrace the freedom of HyperX wireless gaming gear for PC and console. Power through all the great monthly PlayStation Plus games with the Cloud Stinger Core Wireless for PlayStation. Enjoy lightweight comfort with reliable wireless freedom so you won't miss plot points when you head to the fridge. High quality HyperX wireless products can be found at most fine retailers, as well as online at Target, Micro Center, Best Buy, Amazon, Walmart, or shop directly at HyperX.com and HP.com. So, this week, we have got Minty's Amendment. Minty is going to be amending his top 100 favourite video games of all time lists with a new game and getting rid of an old game. I've been promised great things from this game. I don't know what it is, so I'm really excited to find out. But before we get there, we are going to talk about what we've played in this last week. And Minty's going to kick us off with that. I'd be happy to. So... Last little thing about my Digimon Vital Bracelet, I finally completed Impulse City. Hey! I'm wearing my new one right now, oh, yeah. which gives you the option to send your Digimon to sleep. Oh no. And wake them up. Oh, okay, which is <laughs> send them to bed, not put them to sleep. <laughs> uh, okay, yes. Bedtime city, not euthanasia city. Yeah. Very different. Very different. It's like when Sammy texted me when she's working, being like, can you come and sort the dog out? And I have to look to see whether or not she's put inverted commas around sort the dog out. Mm. Or if she's included like a gun emoji or something. <laughs> Language is fun. So the new bracelet is great. It's got some nice quality of life upgrades. The aforementioned um, flexible bedtimes for your Digimon. It also, with the old one, the counter to Digivolution only ticked down her while your Digimon was awake. But now it's just even when they're sleeping. So this current one, 16 hours until it digivolves. And that, that, that'll be tomorrow now. I'm not going to have to wait another two days for it, which is great. I really like it. The one game that I have been playing this week, or rather the one that I have been playing this week that I'm not going to talk about in about 15 or 20 minutes. Oh. Yeah. It's just one of those games that you get on your phone. It's called Conquer the Tower. Conquer the Tower. You know the ones. Is that a sequel to Conker's Bad Fur Day? Yes, yes actually. Um, they've gone in a really weird direction with it, though. No squirrels, no chocolate. No swearing. Yeah, no swearing. No dialogue at all, actually. Do you piss on anything? No. no well, not with urine, but you do piss all over the enemy characters with uh, with your skills, if you if you get what I mean. Ah. No, don't be silly. It's not a, not a sequel to Conker's Bad Fur Day at all. I saw it plenty of times um, in ads for other mobile games that I've been playing. It's one of those ones where... That's how they get you. Do you know what it is, isn't it? 
it's how they get to you. Do you have to pull the little key to let the water out so the man doesn't get eaten by sharks? No, every single time I see one of those, I let it play and just hope that he dies. <laughs> but yeah, it always it always stops before he gets there. It's like, oh, could you do better? Yes. I, I don't want to. I could, but I won't. Those ads are lies, aren't they? It's never a shitty key pulling game. So in this one, you are a blue thing. And there are red, yellow, and green things dotted around. Towers, I think they're called. And you draw lines between each of the towers to send your units over there to try and take over different coloured buildings, which then become your colour. And you keep doing that until the whole map is your colour, as it were. Like apartheid. I'm sure there was... (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I guess so. Jesus. That's that's, that's knocked the wind out of my sails a bit. I don't really want to play this game anymore now. Um... (laughs) Strip that one out of the episode. <laughs> I mean, it's it's based on their armour colour and not on their skin colour, so I think that makes it okay, doesn't it? Yeah, war is fine. We <sighs> fucking love a war. I don't like war either, to be honest. Oh, no. uh, I just like seeing the numbers go up. That's... <sighs> now you've only gone and made a bloody statement, haven't you? Yeah, that's loads of blood on my hands from these little blocky things. So, there are loads of towers on each map. One or some of them will be your colour which is blue. Some will be red, some will be yellow, some will be green. As you let your tower stand there, it'll generate more and more units, which you can then send out to other towers to try and take over. So say if I opened up this level and I had uh, a tower that had 30 units in it, I could draw a line to the next nearest tower, it would send units. And a general rule is if the tower at the other end has less units than you do, you're going to conquer it. You're going to conquer the tower, as it were then that tower will start producing units for you also. Ah, I see. You have your standard tower, which just produces units. You have the attack tower, which deals double damage to opponent's towers. You have the defense tower, which you can send reinforcements to your own towers, and it will reinforce you doubly. Um, So there's a nice little bit of strategy to it. It's not just a case of overwhelming your opponents. Some levels will have walls. Some will have an already vastly superior um, army that you've got to fight against. So, yeah, tactical elements, strategy. There's power-ups as well, so you can fling fireballs, lightning, um, stop enemy towers producing units for a few seconds. It's good. Is it free to play? I have not put a single penny into this game. What? I have put £40,000 into it, though. (laughs) No, I'm only joking. (laughs) What benefits do you get for paying into it? So, after each level, you get a paltry amount of coins, which you can then use to buy skins um, and power-ups. And then you can use real-world money to buy fake-world money. Yeah, it's just pay-to-win buying power-ups, and that's it. Mm. Jonathan Dunn, I I will advise you don't install it. Honestly, it doesn't interest me in the slightest. (laughs) That's fine, but I just feel like all of us, when we talk about games, there's always this chance you're going to buy something or pick it up. Yeah, and then by the end of the episode, I'm I'm bankrupt. I have to say, friend to friend, Minty's £40,000 joke, it could be you. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. It's true, and uh, yeah, I've learnt the hard way, but fortunately it wasn't wasn't the hardest way. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So I got away, I got away with it. Um, with with other games, I've learnt my lesson. I know my weak points. I'm very, very aware of them. And uh, yeah, no danger, no danger. Don't worry. Good. Don't worry. Good. Chris, what have you played this week? It is another one of my grab bag weeks. I think uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about three games, all on different platforms, all different genres. 
I'm going to give you a quick update on Dungeon Encounters, which I'm still playing on the Switch. Oh, yeah. I am going to give a hearty recommendation for Sonic and Sega All-Stars Racing back on the PlayStation 3 and, and relevant platforms of the time. And I'm going to give you a, even though everyone on the internet says it's bad, it's actually kind of okay review for Babylon's Fall on the PS5. I thought you were going to say Babylon's Wonderworld. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's Square Enix published, so, you know, it's they're good mm. bedfellows. So Dungeon Encounters then. I'm maybe seven floors deeper than when we last chatted. I'm now starting to unlock a few party abilities, which are making elements of the game much more manageable. As the titular encounters get tougher, it's good that you then are given tools to kind of deal with that. I now have a limited number of heals that I can use in combat, which is pretty vital because there's no consumable items in this game. You can't just stock up on healing potions or anything like that. I also unlocked a a warp point on floor 10, which takes you back to floor zero, which is where all the shops are. So it's been easier to kind of upgrade gear as I go without having to trek back hundreds and hundreds of steps. And I can also now see a greater spread of the map at one time. Like I unlocked ability that just zooms the map out a bit. And it means it's now much easier to plot a route around hazards and obstacles if I'm actively trying to avoid something. And I'm still really enjoying it. Like something that I think is perhaps best exemplified when I came across an enemy that stole 10,000 coins from me, and that was the 2,000 I was carrying in my pocket, plus a further 8,000 debit in perpetuity. Oh, no. And and rather than just closing the game and having a half, my immediate reaction was, oh, I guess I'll just grind for some coins then. <laughs> just carried on. And it's been a liberating game for me, really, because it's the flavour of RPG without lots of the bits that usually frustrate me or make the genre tough for me to enjoy. So, Yeah. I, I still would really recommend it. If it sounds something that's kind of weird enough to intrigue you, give it a go. I, I think it's a, a very good game. Sonic and Sega All-Stars Racing is a total change of pace, obviously. It was the first in the modern Sonic racing series, so discounting Sonic R and the Sonic Drift games on the Game Gear. And I initially played it to death with my brother Tom back on the Xbox 360 and then recently picked up a copy for the PlayStation 3 for about £5. And it's really good fun still. Coming semi-fresh off of Chocobo, I think the racing engine in Sonic is actually better. It's certainly more fun. And it was developed by Sumo, who produced all the home ports of OutRun 2. And the drifting in this game just feels like OutRun 2. And Chocobo is probably a bit more nuanced. But the problem with that game is that a lot of the tracks were, were quite tight. And it was really hard to keep up like big, snaking, mega drifts. Whereas most of the stages in Sonic are deliberately really wide and open and it means you can chain drifts for like the entirety of some tracks and that's always super satisfying what i really like about this game though is that it takes cues from mario kart on the ds in that it has a mission mode love it and outside of kind of the just the regular kind of grand prix style thing it's just nice to have something a bit different to do in a kart racer so some missions are just simple win this series or, or beat a single opponent kind of things, but lots of them lean into the characters and franchises that are represented in this game and could ask that you take out a certain number of zombies in the House of the Dead stages Ooh. or collect a certain amount of Chaos Emeralds on a Sonic stage or knock down a certain number of obstacles using the egg power up when you're controlling Billy Hatcher. <laughs> it's just there's a good, a good reverence for Sega's history here. That's great. And on top of that... You unlock coins, and with the coins you can then get new characters, new music to play during races, and the fact that you can unlock some of Sonic R's soundtrack <gasps> makes it an automatic 10 out of 10, Incredible. to be honest. <laughs> like, <laughs> buy the game for that. Uh, if you don't have an old aging PlayStation 3 or Xbox 360, I'm pretty sure this game's on Steam for pennies, uh, so it's a good one. 
Lastly, then, we come to Babylon's Fall on the PlayStation 5. And for anyone out of the loop, which was me up until, you know, not that long ago, (laughs) this is the latest game from Platinum Games. And it's published by Square Enix. And it is an action hack and slash thing that at some point in its kind of multi-year development was built into a live service, always online sort of game. And that was enough to put me off, basically, from the beginning. And as with Balan Wonderworld, the more the internet has been harsh to it, the more interested I've become in checking it out. (laughs) You know, I'm very early into it. I've only played for a few hours, but I think it's fine. Like, people have been really, really down on it. And I, I don't think it's bad at all. Like, it doesn't look great. But as with all these things, many people wrongfully have said that it looks like a PS2 game. But as is always the case, if you're someone who actually regularly plays older games you know that's not true. (laughs) You just know that's not true. And it's more accurate to say that the modelling and texture work a little PlayStation 3 in quality, though obviously these are displayed at much higher resolution and at a much higher frame rate than machines of that era could manage. I think it is worth noting though, someone online said that Platinum skills have basically capped out during the 360 generation. And I'd say that's pretty accurate given that a lot of their recent successes have come via the Switch and it's lower spec like Astral Chain. But Either way, the visuals are not the meat and potatoes of this thing. It's a stage-based co-op, hack-and-slash, loot-driven thing. I'm not an expert on this sort of design, but it feels quite good to me. Like, it looks flashy enough, the combat is readable and enjoyable, and even at the early stage I'm at, weapon and gear selection makes encounters feel quite different and fun to try out new weapon combinations and, and stuff like that. The gimmick of the whole game is that you are always holding four weapons, two in your hands, and then two that are controlled by some weird ethereal backpack that you're carrying around (laughs) and it means that combos can be really quite expressive because you know you're organizing gear in between skirmishes and then you take it out the field and you you try out these kind of like four different attacks in combination in different ways so at the moment my character has two quick swords for my light and heavy hand attacks and then two big spectral hammers that are mapped to the shoulder buttons and therefore the backpack thing so that I can sort of deal some damage up close and then sort of jump backwards so I'm not hit by an attack and then finish off with like a flurry of, of double hammer blows. And it, it works quite nicely. It's just it's quite fun to play. <laughs> a genuine failing and something I will concede and agree with the internet consensus on is how shoddy Babylon's matchmaking online is. Given that you can't play Babylon's Fall at all without being connected to its servers, it is a real shame, firstly, that Player accounts are as low as they are, but it's more frustrating that matchmaking then hasn't been streamlined and organised to account for this, because it's been out a few months now. Like I think it launched on the same day as Elden Ring. <laughs> Searching for a quick match is basically impossible at this stage, as it relies on someone being firstly in the same region and on the same server as the player they want to connect with. The person setting up the game has to choose a stage that everyone has already unlocked in the campaign, Yeah, And the people wanting to play it have to search within a few seconds of the room being set up because it times out incredibly quickly. And these requirements and timings for the whole process means that after a few days play, I've yet to play with another living soul. It doesn't help because I'm early in the campaign. I don't have that many stages I can actually draw from. But still, on top of that, there's no way to have any like voice chat in the main lobby. There's no way of kind of sending messages outside of simple emotes to kind of say to people... I can do these levels, let's give this a go. And it's just that it's almost overly simplified to the point where the simplicity makes it overly complicated. Even the friend lists are really complicated too because you have to have a Square Enix account 
and managing other players is a case of knowing their Square Enix name and not their PlayStation name for some weird reason. Oh. So it's only on the PS4, the PS5 and the PC. So there must be a more elegant way to put this together. And yet, <laughs> it just it, it doesn't let you do the, the real fundamental things that would make this a more enjoyable experience. Make them AI characters and it'll be fine instead of making you have to solo these things coming up against like enemies that are too difficult or, you know, it, it doesn't scale that well to consider that you are just one person. And so maybe the online is great when it's filled with a full room of people. Maybe it's shit, but at the moment... I am just resorting to playing this on my own. And for what it's worth, I'm having an okay time, but we'll see how it goes. When I've got more stages unlocked, if I can actually get in a game, I'll, uh, I'll let people know. It most puts me in mind of something like Fantasy Star Online. And I think that's why I wanted to give it a go. And I'm not talking Fantasy Star Online in its prime when lots of people were playing, but all the times I've played that game online has been via like modern fan servers, yeah. either on the PC or I played it on the GameCube before. And because of that restriction, you obviously have a much further reduced kind of community. It's much tighter. And I feel like that could be quite nice if you're one of like this small group of people playing this game. It could end up being quite a nice kind of homely thing. But again, we'll have to wait and see if I ever manage to play with another human being. <laughs> the game itself is that same kind of feeling I mentioned about Fantasy Star a few weeks ago, that it can be repetitive but the combat has been engaging enough to keep me kind of ticking along. So it doesn't feel like it needs to be a massively layered experience for me. It's just given me something to do for half an hour or an hour whilst I'm just winding down from doing other things. I'm definitely not saying that Babylon's Fall is a 10 out of 10 must play or anything like that. But for what my paltry opinion is worth, it's also not the one out of 10 worst game of the year that the open-jawed YouTube thumbnails would have you believe. <laughs> I think it could very likely die a death within six months if something doesn't happen for Platinum. But maybe they'll be clever enough to kind of make a few changes to just keep things rolling. It could be the type of game that at some stage goes free to play like Destiny has these days and has millions of people playing. But I just, I don't know if they're savvy enough to do that, to have kind of the big rethink that it needs, especially because I don't know if you remember a year or two ago, Platinum came out with a big bold statement basically saying they would focus almost exclusively on online live service games now Yeah. because they claimed, you know, the single player game was dying and there wasn't the interest in it that there once was. But I, I just, I hope they don't really believe that because they make very good games and in the here and now, they're just not up to the task of making this work properly. So we'll see. It's early days, like I mentioned, but I think it's all right. I think it's an all right game. Uh, should we give it another Ball and Wonderworld Crystal 5 out of 10? <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. You might enjoy it. You'd enjoy it more than more than Ballon. I'd say that for sure. I mean, I mean that's extraordinarily low bar. <laughs> well, there you go. See, I'm not lying. <laughs> <laughs> There's a stamina meter. It's a bit like a Souls game. I know you like swinging things around. It's quite fun combat. I know you like a fun combat. I love a fun combat. When I go into a game, I say, can I have one good combat, please? And this game delivers. Well, good. Good. So I have played nothing but my Steam Deck this week. Again. Huge surprise. And I finished The Outer Worlds. And I think I said last week that I'd reached the point of no return. So I'd turned around uh, to go and do the DLC content. And I did do the first one of those, which was really cool, and explored a side of this world that hadn't been touched upon in the main game. Although, that storyline in the DLC brought it even closer to Firefly. Oh, wow. It felt 
to be honest, just a bit cheeky. <laughs> and 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 because it's not like it's parodying it. It was just like flat out. Oh, they did that, so let's just do that. And it it sort of dented the impact of the story beats a little, obviously having seen it done before. Uh, but it was still good. And I went to start the second piece of DLC when. I realised I hadn't gained any XP for a little while, and I checked it out and found that I'd hit a level cap for the game, which I didn't know was was in there. Um, it's not particularly high. Apparently, the main game, there's a level cap of 30, and then it's 33 with one of the DLCs, and then 36 with both of the DLCs. And honestly, it kind of put a bit of a... I don't know, put a bit of a fire blanket over my enthusiasm. Bit of a kibosh. Yeah, like, you know, it, it just... Well, I just I started to not really see the point in exploring and, you know, checking all out the little bits out and scouring every corner of each environment because I knew I wasn't going to be able to develop my character anymore. It just felt a little bit pointless, you know, the more I was playing, especially as there was like several abilities I hadn't like leveled up to the point that I wanted them to be. You know, I didn't want to have to faff around like respecking my character just to enable me to access different things in the game at the cost of accessing something else. It started to feel a little bit unbalanced in that respect which is perhaps a telling sign of a you know a smaller developer working independently without the support of a major studio well there's an interesting system in the game whereby if you do a certain thing a certain amount of times it can add up to becoming a personality flaw in your character oh yeah i forgot about that yeah so if you get caught stealing too many times you could develop a paranoia flaw it's a nice little thing where basically you get given the choice to accept the flaw or not but if you do accept it then you'll receive some stat nerfs so your perception is like minus three or your lying is minus three or whatever but then you'll also get rewarded with a whole load of extra skill points to assign to your character or like an extra perk point or something but like once you take on a flaw there's no way of getting rid of it and once I realized that I wasn't going to be able to level up to a point where I could, you know, balance those stats out again, uh, it just, yeah, again, it just became a bit frustrating. I was like, oh, I wish I'd known that, you know, it didn't quite have the flexibility that I thought it probably would. And just, yeah, felt like an element of the game that exposed the lack of playtesting, perhaps, that often happens in indie games, certainly when they're, you know, of this scale. So I didn't end up finishing the second piece of DLC. I just sort of turned back to the main quest to go and finish it off. And it's a bit of a shame, really, because, I mean, the second piece of DLC is largely a narrative experience. It's like a murder mystery storyline. But even on the strength of the game's writing, like, and, and I know that it would have been a really cool story, without that added sense of just overall progression and experience and growth, I just didn't quite have the oomph to, you know, explore... What I'm sure would have been really fun. I would have really enjoyed it. But, you know, obviously I can always get back to it and if I want to know what happened, I guess. But, yeah, so it sort of ended with a little bit more of a whimper than a bang. But it was still a, yeah, really good game. And I think, you know, the experience of making this game and, and taking on some of the feedback will mean that, you know, The Outer Worlds 2, which they're developing at the moment, I'm sure will be absolutely brilliant. And I'll be picking that up day one. Absolutely. But since then, I decided to play a game called Monster Sanctuary, which I'd got in some bundle at some point, and uh, my friend Charles recommended it to me. He um, very accurately described it as Pokemon as a Metroidvania, with classic Final Fantasy-style battles. And that's exactly what it is. You basically form a little party of monsters, and you do typically like three-on-three battles with wild monsters. If you defeat a wild monster, there's a chance you'll get an egg to hatch one of your own. Then you can level it up, you can equip it with weapons and armour and add it to your party. 
and there's definite strategy to how you play the battles. It does feel more like classic JRPG than than Pokemon. Uh, there's like you know support moves for other monsters in your party, and there's like complementary attack orders to generate higher combo bonuses and stuff like that. So it really approached the battles as a team, not just as you know a couple of individual Pokemon or something. Uh, but then the overworld is classic 2D side-scrolling Metroidvania platforming, and you use your monsters' individual powers as your skills to open doors and pathways. So that's just like a really nice little twist on the formula. And it's, yeah, it's really nice and fun. It feels very gentle, which is lovely. It's obviously got nice pixel art and animation. And uh, yeah, I mean, the level of personality isn't quite there in the variety of monsters that you'd get in Pokemon. Uh, But there's lots of, you know, fairly sort of standard monsters. Like, you know, you've got your slime, you've got your phoenix, you've got your yeti, you know, you've got your, your cat samurai. I'm struggling a little bit with sort of the admin side of the game which I'm sure would probably appeal to you Minty because it seems that after every battle I've got like a new skill point to assign to one of my monsters or I found a new weapon or accessory to equip to one of them yeah it sounds like it would and because it's like all new to me it feels more like a hassle than a joy when I get these things because uh, you know I've just got to sort of scroll through and sort of individually check whether or not you know that item is going to go well with one of these or whether or not I want to do this and this and that but I know the more I play the more of a plan I'll have for levelling my monsters up and you know the paths of the skill trees I want to develop and I'll know what types of weapon and armour I'm looking for but yeah it's one I think I'm going to enjoy dipping in and out of when I want something yeah a bit more gentle to play I really do think that you'd love it actually Minty and uh, I know it's on Switch yeah it's really lovely it's it's right up your strasser um, so yeah, keep an eye out for it. Okay, well I'll have a look for it now, yeah, yeah. There's one other game that I've been playing, and it's a game that I've decided to give a third chance to. Oh, third time lucky for... Well, very famously, it was my third chance of giving Monster Hunter Rise a chance, where I broke through with that. So we'll see if that happens with Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. It's a game that I tried to play when it came out and got too annoyed with the main character, uh, but I decided to give it another go when the PS5 patch came out because, you know, at its core, the game is really, really good. I mean, it's basically sci-fi Dark Souls in the Star Wars universe, and I thought that... I'd probably be able to push past my intense dislike of the main character (laughs) to at least enjoy the gameplay. But I just got a bit fed up with it again, uh, mainly with him. But then I saw that the game has Steam Deck support and it's also bundled into the EA Play subscription service, which the Steam Deck also supports. So I thought I'd see if I'd enjoy it more in the same sort of pick-up-and-play way that had been, you know, so remarkably successful for me playing Elden Ring and Sekiro. One of the things I'd forgotten about the game is one of the reasons why the character got on my nerves more than he probably would have potentially done is that you can't skip cutscenes and it is utterly unfathomable in a modern game that you can't do that. Apparently you can't even do it in like New Game Plus. The game knows you've already seen them and it's still making you watch them and you can't disable them so like speedrunners must be seething. But because it's on the Steam Deck, I can just put it down whilst those play out, and I can hopefully just enjoy the gameplay. And I must say, the game runs phenomenally well on the Steam Deck. Possibly the like the best I've played so far on the machine. It's just really, really nice. As well, this game has something in its favour for me this time, because I've had to go through the recent dregs of content that have been coming out of the Star Wars franchise. Like, specifically, the most recent Disney Plus series, The Book of Boba Fett, which was just an entirely pointless series 
just seeking to mine people's nostalgia for money with very poor writing, severely underdeveloped characters with no story focus of where anything was going. From Disney. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, like, you know, The Mandalorian is brilliant and the Marvel series have been brilliant. And we've now got the new Obi-Wan Kenobi series, which has just started. And so far, it looks like it might be going more in the same way of Boba Fett than The Mandalorian. Uh, but it does mean that my tolerance is fairly low. So one, <laughs> I might be, <laughs> I might be more forgiving of uh, you know of the character's portrayal in Jedi Fallen Order. Two, the writing and story of this game is meant to be really good. And three, it's also set around the same time as this Obi Wan series. So I'm hoping that it may help my enjoyment of that series too, because. Like, despite having largely been massively unsatisfied with, you know, most things to come out of the franchise for the last decade, I still love Star Wars and I want to enjoy it as much as I can. So, yeah, I'll see how I get on with this game this time because I've also seen that a direct sequel has just been announced and it's got the same protagonist. But I think that might be a good thing because it gives me hope that the character will be obviously being developed throughout this game into the next game hopefully make him less punchable more mature uh so yeah we'll see we'll see he hasn't got on my nerves as much as i remembered uh mainly it's probably something to do with the fact that i'm playing with the sound off maybe <laughs> but he has, doesn't have that much of an annoying voice so maybe i've just been worn down and i'll probably watch like the phantom menace and go oh that's a good it's good, good drama um <laughs> but i doubt that but maybe but yeah, so far I'm enjoying it. So we'll see how we get on. Fingers crossed, third time lucky, at least. And uh, that's, that's me. That's me. Um, I thought I'd had a really busy week and I hadn't had much time to play games, but... There's always time. Where there's a will, there's a way. Where there's a done, there's an hour. Yeah, we've got that. So that's the um, that's the logo. It's in Latin on our coat of arms, but uh, that's the one. Minty, over to you to tell us what your amendment is for your list oh I'm excited I'm excited tell us what it is I will I will good I owe you our listeners an apology for the past few weeks I've been keeping this game under wraps in the uh, what have you been playing segment of the podcast because I wanted to save up all of my praise for today which is when I reveal to you what this game is and why I love it so much Within the first five minutes of gameplay, my wife turned to me and said, this game was made for you, wasn't it? <laughs> like, just just looking at it, looking at the gameplay, looking at what some of the things are called, and she's spot on. If you were to consider me a focus group, this is the game that would come out. And thankfully, it's incredibly good, so I'll accept that I have excellent taste. <laughs> <laughs> Something that I don't really like in modern games is the over-reliance on map systems. I see so many people talking about how this game or that franchise would be so much better if the next game was an open-world adventure. And when a game that is either exactly what they wanted, or a game that is an open-world and popular IP mashup by a smaller studio, it's invariably just a huge world with a huge map full of checkpoints that automatically populates itself, turning the game into a 60-quid to-do list instead of an open-world adventure that that so many people desperately want, I feel. Despite worlds getting bigger and, and denser, the spirit of adventure and exploration, these games being like these uncharted frontiers, I haven't really come across too many that, that actually do that particularly well. And we all know the reason why, don't we? 
get the game finished, enjoy the scenery, buy the next one. I'll probably never play it, but it's been very refreshing to see what people um, say about Elden Ring and how that's gone the other way. And it's, I think it's, it's, has it done away with checkpoints completely or a map covered in little bits of confetti that tell you where people with side quests are? Yeah, there's barely a hint of a quest marker. Yeah, yeah. There's just not. (laughs) Good. Yeah, I've seen people saying that you need a notepad to play it with. I mean, we used to do that for The Witness, didn't we? Oh, it's wonderful. Wonderful. Draw down the puzzles, work on them on the lunch breaks and all the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, yeah, the over-reliance on maps. Every day, new quest markers are added to my save file in Rune Factory 5, for example. That's just shuttling me towards the next cutscene with a potential suitor. To me, it just gets rid of all notions of organic discovery. And I kind of hate that it's just, that it's ingrained, not just in that game, but games with big worlds in general. Cue today's game. The map has nothing helpful on it at all. It shows you where you are, what part of the planet you're on, and that's it to begin with. Like Markers are added when you do something in-game to necessitate like your character placing the marker themselves. Like perhaps you've put down a piece of machinery in this part of the world, or you've just, you've just built this, that, and the other. It really does feel like your character is the one that's making these little marks on the map. Like how messy that map gets then depends on what you do in the game which is just, it, like it's wonderfully liberating in a way like, i'm not being shepherded there's no compunction to advance constantly it's it embraces this idea of exploration it's such a key aspect of why i, I love this game so much the game itself is set on the on the far far range a planet one year away from earth the game begins with you waking up after a year of hypersleep You've escaped the humdrum of earthly life, and you're now ready to begin a more simple, intergalactic agrarian lifestyle. Of course, things are different from when Tim Curry tried to escape capitalism. So even though you're in SPICE, (laughs) there is a bartering system in place. The reality is there's no escape from corporate greed, it seems. But in this game, you are Beatrix LeBeau, and you are the protagonist of Monomi Park's incredible... Slime Rancher. Oh, bloody hell. Bloody hell. <laughs> I was really trying to work out where this was going, and I, I couldn't picture oh, Could I, not picture what game it would be. I had no <laughs> idea. Wow. Mm. I had no idea. I had a couple of games in mind that it might be, and it was not them. Yeah. Wow. Oh, it's incredible. Have, you, have either of you played it? No. I know nothing about it. All right, well, strap yourself in. Especially as I wasn't listening to anything you just said. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I haven't really described any of it yet, so... Okay, you're armed with nothing but a gun, right? Not just any gun, though, a vacuum gun. And your job, uh, your purpose, I suppose, is to revitalise the neglected ranch left behind on the far, far range by legendary slime rancher Hobson Twilligers, I think his name is. He's like the classic legendary character that you see in these types of games, like um, like Jardinero from Viva Piñata, Trouble in Paradise, the sort of the mysterious hands-off mentor, as it were. But instead of wandering in in a cutscene and just pointing at you saying, now you're a great gardener, you never actually see Hobson Twilligers, but you do get little snapshots into his life and his journey through the far, far range through diary entries, which just litter the landscape. It's a much gentler way of those like codex and all that crap from Bioshock Infinite, which I found really overwhelming. So go into an open world. You can look at different diary things at your own pace, 
really, really wonderful. So yeah, you, you have your vacuum gun. There's a land full of slimes ready to be sucked up and like spat out into your various corrals uh, in, in your ranch. There's fruits and vegetables to harvest and grow yourself. There's chickens to rear. Tens of different slimes await you on this planet with different diets and favorite foods. You feed the slime the food in its general diet, so meat, fruit or veg, and it'll reward you with the main resource of the game, which is the plot. The plot is, as far as I can tell, the poop of the slime. <laughs> and it's a highly valued resource across the galaxy and your main source of income. There's no fixed prices, so depending on which plots you sell, the prices will fluctuate, which is just like how the stock exchange works in real life, I am 100% sure. <laughs> there are different species of slime. Um, every single one is fucking adorable. <laughs> and... You have your Slimepedia, which goes into detail what all of their personalities are, what their likes and their dislikes are, what they do when they're stressed, the best way to care for them on the ranch and everything. It's wonderful. You've got the pink slime, which is just the normal slime. You put it there, you feed it anything. It's the beginner slime. It's the one that you that you can really sink your teeth into to take you off on a journey of being a legendary rancher. There's things like the tabby slime, who is like the pink slime, but has cat ears and a tail. There's the rad slime, which is radioactive. And if you stand close to it for too long, you will yourself become irradiated and die. Well, not die, you'll get knocked out and have to and have to sleep off acute radiation poisoning, I suppose. <laughs> uh, just like in real life. <laughs> There's the phosphor slime, which glows in the dark. Oh, like phosphorus. Yeah, yeah, and only appears at night. So if you suck one up and put it back onto your ranch, uh, when you wake up the next day, it will be gone. And you'll curse the sky and think, why? Why did I only have a brief tantalizing glimpse of this beautiful glowing little thing? And then you read the entry and it's like, oh, okay, um, I, I missed that crucial little bit of info which is obvious, really, because I found it at night and I've never seen one in a day. But there we go. <laughs> Not only do they come in different species, they come in different sizes. There's the regular ones, which are regular sized. There's the imposing Gordo slime, which is huge. It stands still somewhere on the map and demands to be fed 50 pieces of its favourite food. If you fulfil that Gordo slime's wish, it will explode into a load of smaller slimes, little bits of treasure, maybe a secret key here and there. And then you can take those slimes, those things, all the rest of it, take it back to your ranch, stick them in your corral and harvest plots from them. And then there's the Larjo. Hello. The Larjo slime. Say, for example, you have a, a pink slime and a rock slime, right? If you feed the pink slime a rock plot, it'll turn into a pink rock Larjo. <laughs> what is the benefit of turning it into a Larjo, I hear you ask? Well... When you mix two slimes together in this way, the resulting Larjo has both of their diets that it can be fed with. So it could be fed with fruits and meat, for example. But for every one piece of food you feed it, it'll spit out two plots. Ah, double plot. Double plot, right? <laughs> As opposed to just one. And then what happens when you feed it a third different kind of plot triple triple plots no it, it turns evil oh, oh no yeah breed doth make villains of us all mm, mm. so instead of being rewarded for your ingenuity you are punished for imposing gluttony 
They turn evil, they attack you, and the only way to get rid of them is to just suck them up and shoot them into the sea. Oh. Yeah, where they dissolve and die. Um, merciful, really, if you'd look at them. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's no way to live. It's no existence. <laughs> so yeah, that's what's stopping you from just having one big mega slime that you just feed one thing to and, it's, and it shits over nine hedges for days. <laughs> Which brings its own kind of, uh, kind of challenges to actually raising these things, because even though you keep them in enclosures, when they get hungry, they will find a way to escape. And they'll eat any kind of plot that they come across. So um, just last night, I went to bed after about three days exploring up into the uh, up into the far reaches of the range. I came back. Nothing had been fed, so they were all very, very uh, upset. A couple of them had managed to escape, and it was a slime that explodes when it's pissed off. So it explodes and it sends all of these plorts everywhere, including into all of my other enclosures. So I don't actually have any slimes on there at the moment because I've had to kill them all because they turned evil. Oh dear. But when something like that happens, and it happens quite often because, surprise, surprise, I'm not very good at this game, you don't think, oh, I've lost all that progress, I can't be bothered doing it again. No, you just, oh, this is just another opportunity to go and explore, um, to get more slimes, maybe try out a few different Lajo combinations to try and stop such a thing happening again. I'm not having any that explode anymore. They're a pain in the ass. I don't care how valuable the plots you get off of them. So, yeah, you're, you're constantly tested by how naughty some of these slimes can get. Understandably, because they're hungry. We all get naughty when we're hungry, don't we? <laughs> well, that's it, yeah, yeah. Here, have, have this chocolate bar with a dick vein on it. Oh. <laughs> you know what I mean, Chris. We all know. The Snickers. Oh. Yeah, so it looks great. It's not hyper-realistic. It's, it's just got a very gentle art style. It's almost painted in a way. It looks really nice. All the slimes are adorable. The different biomes are varied and, and a real joy to explore. And... Each different biome has its own secret, I suppose. Well, not secret, but just just gentle mysteries woven in and out. Running concurrently with uh, with Hobson Twilliger's diary entries, he'll give you a little bit of info about each new place you come to. There was one bit that I read said, oh, I accidentally broke the entrance, so I set up a teleporter just ahead. Okay, cool. So this new area is quite treacherous, and I need to watch my footing, and the only way is forward. It's great. Just a simple sentence that that makes this area so much more enticing. And going back to Hobson Twilliger's diary entries, there's there's very little story in this game, but holy shit, it is the most emotional I've ever felt um, playing a video game, to be honest. Jeez. Even more so than Mario and Luigi partners in time. Uh, yes, because it was Dream Team Brothers that got me really emotional. <laughs> Jonathan! Okay, even more than Mario and Luigi Dream Time bro- Brothers. Uh, no, I... Third time lucky? Was, was that it? I... Dream Team. But that's neither here nor there. Yeah, thinking about Dream Team Brothers, that was a real heavy hitter emotionally. But this one, Slime Rancher, the story in this game, you're basically finding it yourself. And as you find out why Hobson Twilligers isn't on the ranch anymore, and you go through those same steps that he did, the story just... Oh, you get to the end, there's this huge set piece, and all the time you've been getting emails from your friends back on Earth, and... Mm, oh, it, it just builds to this crescendo. It's joyous, it's wonderful, it's such good storytelling done so well and so economically. And then... Uh, the ending credits roll, and, and you just you just sit there out of out of reverence almost for it. It's 
you wouldn't expect a, uh, like what what appears to be like a silly cartoony game where you're like harvesting shit from little slime creatures to carry a real real emotional depth to it it's 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 amazing it's really really amazing so i encourage you to play it if you haven't already and if you have played it then back me up when i say that the story is amazing and emotional and really really well told anywho let's try and place it in a list oh, yeah. my list as it were number one i'm going to get rid of new super mario brothers u hey um, that's fair enough it's a great game it's fine fine game i mean it's not in my list but it's a great game it's a great game i mean i, th- I think i said this uh, when i put it in the list it was you can't expect every single game ever to be fantastic to really blow you out the water with innovation and everything sometimes you just want a good chicken pot pie of a game <laughs> reliable <laughs> nourishing etc etc New Super Mario Brothers U was one of those games. I now realise that that is, a, that is a foolish way of thinking and we should be striving for excellence not only in the things that we do, but in the things that we enjoy. So I'm taking it out and I'm putting Slime Rancher in at number 35. Ooh, top half. Top half. Well, it's downloading now. You've, you've done him. <laughs> Are you getting it on the Steam Deck, Jonathan? Yes, I am. Good, good. It's, yeah, I play it on the Switch and... Uh, you know how we were talking about how the eShop slows to a crawl? Yeah. Yes. This game does that if you neglect to uh, to suck up your vegetables and your plots in a timely manner. <laughs> but well, that's part of the charm. That's just the Nintendo Switch. So caveat emptor there, I suppose. But either way, play it on what you can play it on. You won't regret it at all. It's beautiful. So there we go. That was Minty's Amendment. And it was... Library <laughs> wow. Hey Minty, mm. get out of the bath. <laughs> if you've enjoyed this episode, or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do share the podcast on social media. It really helps. It helps bring in uh, new audiences, new listeners, and we'd be very appreciative if you did that. Also, you can leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. Review us. But only if you think we're great and tell us that, because we'd love that. Encourage us to keep going. If you want to support us, you can do that. Go to patreon.com slash O3C games or go to O3C.games, our website, loads of great stuff on there, slash support. And you can find a link to our Patreon page and also a one-off donation button to give us a little bit of swish uh, via PayPal. And that would be uh, very much appreciated as well as it helps us. Again, keep going. There's loads of perks on Patreon as well. Bonus episodes, deleted scenes, outtakes, access to the Discord server. Oh, you'd be, you'd be a fool not to. And join us next week where Chris will be amending his list even further. Can't wait. Can't wait. We didn't do our Twitter handles. Oh, yeah. Oh, well. People know them. <laughs> Cut there. <laughs> Hey, Joe, Brandon, do you want to review everything? No, yes. no, 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 hang on. That sounds like a lot of work. It's not. What do you mean? Yeah, it's not. Podfred Review, the podcast where we review everything and anything and get lost along the way. Find this podcast and more on the HyperX Podcast Network. Video Death Loop is a show where we watch a short clip on loop until one or both of us can't take it anymore. 
Each week, one of us picks out a video the other does not know about to their dismay. Video game cutscenes, TV show openings, music videos, and occasional horse videos are just some of the clips we've ran and we're five seasons in. Check us out every Friday. Eliminate clutter and embrace the freedom of HyperX wireless gaming gear for PC and console. Power through all the great monthly PlayStation Plus games with the Cloud Stinger Core Wireless for PlayStation. Enjoy lightweight comfort with reliable wireless freedom so you won't miss plot points when you head to the fridge. High quality HyperX wireless products can be found at most fine retailers as well as online at Target, Best Buy and Amazon. Or you can shop for them directly at HyperX.com and HP.com.